Hey, this is Dan Messick, and you're listening to Upstream, a Skeena Wild podcast. Upstream will explore the people, culture, science, and of course the salmon from all across the Skeena watershed. Northwest BC is filled with diverse voices, communities, and economies that rely on a healthy watershed. So we'll dive into the work being done every day on the ground to ensure our way of life and salmon have a future and that the Skeena stays wild. This is episode two, Origins, part two. Hey, Julia, how's it going? Good. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Sitting here on a sunny April morning, uh, looking at the spring that is uh, budding in the East Skeena, uh, a little ways away from the Skeena River itself, but along the Bulkley. So uh, can be happy about that. But uh, yeah, I wanted to, time. right? I know we wait <laughs> so long to get these sunny days and finally they're here. And it's like watching, just watching the sun come up is a huge joy. Um, you don't okay. even need to go out into it. It's just seeing it. It's like, yeah, all right, we're, we're finally here. I definitely need to be out in it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, eh? <laughs> Uh, today we're chatting about Skeena Wild, kind of where we came from and where we are. Um, but first, I just wanted to chat with you about your story. Tell me, how did you end up in the Skeena? This is Julia Hill Sorosian, operations manager for Skeena Wild. She grew up in the north and has been with the organization since its inception in 2007. Well, I came as a kid with my with my family. Um, you know, my my parents are uh, expat Americans who um, left during some political unrest in the States and were looking for greener pastures and made their way from California to Alaska to the south side of France, <laughs> like of all places, uh, where they had a homestead uh, and raised, uh, started raising their family. Uh, my dad was a... a, a logger a faller and a, and he had a, a small sawmill operation with with another family um and he was ready for a shift uh and interestingly um made the shift from uh, a logger to a conservationist um when he went on a steelhead fishing trip with some friends to the kitlope valley to have a little a little fishing trip and, and was struck by the beauty of that place, but also struck by the flagging tape um, that was along the banks of the river. And, you know, as a logger just recognized that there is a time and a place for harvesting logs. And the Kitlope was nor the time or the place to to do that. So he he actually joined forces with the Heisla and we went our family very shortly after moved to Terrace and he uh, embarked in his career as conservation, which obviously had a huge influence on me because here I am um, doing this as, as my career, as my lifelong uh, sort of commitment. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we, we ended up in Terrace uh, in, in 1990. I, I left for a very short period of time, but I very quickly realized that this is where my roots were and that I, I wanted to, to be in the Skeena. And so I, I landed this job and it just felt like my dream job because I did a, a little bit of time in consulting and very quickly realized that you 
while there are incredible people doing that work that um, it's really hard to make real change um, in that sphere. It's also really hard to make real change working for government. And so I very quickly realized that I was passionate about um, this region and I was passionate about my community and the people who lived in it and maintaining um, its health. And, and that if I wanted to be a part of that change that it was gonna happen um, in the nonprofit sector. Um, you have a bit of a, a interesting story, uh, origin story, because uh, you were more or less baptized in some of this conservation work as a child. Uh, both your parents, you know, as you mentioned, uh, uh, politically savvy. Um, you know, your dad, Bruce, uh, a, a huge force in the conservation world. Um, but here in the Skeena, you know, one of the main things, the reason why uh, we do this conservation work is because of the salmon. Uh, one of the last places where we see uh, uh, massive runs still, I mean, they're not like they used to be, but we still see decently healthy runs, more so than in a lot of other places that have Pacific salmon. So tell me, I guess, firstly, what was your first experience that you can remember, that you can recall as a child with Skeena salmon? Yeah, well, it was that first summer, my dad was a fishing guide, and he took us out on the boat on the Skeena, and it just seemed like such a big river with like big mountains and big trees. Remember, I came from the south side of Burns Lake where, you know, there's some beautiful rivers like the Cheslada River is, is stunning. And, you know, there's some gorgeous terrain and stuff, but it's it's late country and it's foothilly and the trees are kind of scrubby compared to the big old growth, you know, behemoth, amazing trees that we have here and and I just remember being in awe in the, in the river that day and of course I landed my first Chinook and it was just like you know imagine a little girl landing a big Skeena Chinook down you know below where the Kalem runs in you just you know and that was back in the day when it was like not unheard of to catch a 70 plus you know pound Chinook on the lower Skeena. So um, yeah, you know, it was kind of formative and I just, and it was, it was, it was the river, but it was like, it was the people for me. It was just like my dad and my, my mom always had this incredible, they were just like this mag, they, they were magnets for, for, for neat, interesting people. And so I just grew up around their famous kitchen table. Um, it was, uh, it was incredibly formative and uh and definitely undoubtedly the reason why i'm here doing what i'm doing after the fight of the heisla and and, and friends um to protect the kitlope i was a little girl on the beach of kitlope lake and they had just had the minister uh, and the premier and a whole bunch of government officials out of the Kitlope to say like, you know, the time is now to protect this place. And, and it was a very formative trip we, that my, my dad and, and Gerald had organized um, out, out to the Kitlope and others, others from, from Heisla. And, uh, you know, I think my mom and my and her girlfriend cooked for, for the trip for like over 40 people on the on the beach. And as the float plane was picking up John Cashore, who was the Minister of Environment at the time, he, he said to me and I was in my bathing suit swimming in the lake. He said, Julia, do you have any parting words for me? And 
and I grabbed a pencil because I couldn't find a pen and I literally carved into his arm, save the kit lope. And so that was what he had on his arm as he got on the float plane to go and have this, this big government meeting about, you know, the protection of the future of the kit lope. And, and, uh, and I, and, and so a year or two later, we had a, there was a feast in, in the Heisla um, in Kitimat village to celebrate the protection of the kit lope and John Kishore was there. And so there's a picture of me writing on his arm thank you for saving the kit lope that's, and that was that's awesome like i have this in my office because this is kind of where it all started yeah that's where it all started for me it's been a, a bit of a long road i mean it's it's been almost 15 years now that skina wild has been operating in the skina i mean what's your recollection you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier but we, what's your recollection of how the organization got started and and also what led to that i know there was a lot going on in the mid 2000s uh, especially in the headwaters um, with Shell wanting to wanting to drill up there for coal bed methane, but uh, what's your recollection of how Skeena Wild came to be? The the sacred headwaters was was uh, the battle was you know upon us, and there this was a very real threat. We had this proposal for fish farms, and Friends of Wild Salmon was born, and it was this coalition of of groups from throughout the watershed saying like this is not an acceptable activity. Um, the threats we 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 knew enough in in 2000 you know five 2004 2005 about fish farms that we that was something we were not willing to accept in Skeena and and so that really sort of coalesced this group of people to say you know we need to work to protect this because it became apparent that the government interests were not they didn't necessarily have the interest of of uh, communities who are dependent on wild salmon at heart. But Skeena Wild kind of was happening separately and, and Skeena Wild was, was born out of this need for a group to focus on fisheries management because meanwhile, you know, there were these threats coming at us um, on specific issues. There was also a lot of concerns around the management of the fisheries and there wasn't really a strong science voice um, that was that was dealing with that and so Skeena Wild was born out of that need to um, bring uh, science that was that was not tied to an industry basically that was independent that was there really to speak on behalf of salmon interests and so that um, of course we've diversified and shift, shifted focus over the years to deal with um, you know different things as they come at us um, and to try to take a solutions approach but very much rooted in in science still and that that's really that's really fundamental to i think our organization yeah um i know at the beginning that it was you know pretty grassroots uh, uh you know very small team um it's been able to grow over the years with with some successes um, and now, you know, as you mentioned, broadening into a, a few other issues, but always rooted and based on, you know, what are the impacts to, to Skeena salmon? How do we ensure that uh, Skeena salmon populations and habitat um, are, are there, you know, for generations to come? Um, so tell me a little bit about some of what you consider to be kind of the wheelhouse for Skeena Wild. What does Skeena Wild do? 
at the root of of all of our work i would i would say is is just like providing good information and good science but trying to build community trying to bring people together those are those are really at the heart like that's what i i'm quite passionate about because you know in studying science and biology in college it was like it was really interesting and i loved you know i loved all of it but there was a really key thing that was always missing from those studies and that was people communities like that is such an important part of the fabric of the work that we do and 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 our ecosystems it's just like it's critical and if we exclude ourselves from it then it, then we're missing major opportunities so um you know whether we're working on uh you know policy reform for you know mining or or fisheries you know or whether we're we're working on you know our educational uh program you know this is the broad diversity of issues and and focus areas that we have it i would say those are sort of the fundamental um principles good science good information education community building those are the art pillars yeah no doubt um the skeena unlike a lot of these other Pacific salmon uh, uh, habitats in Russia, in Alaska, uh, in Japan, uh, in uh, the lower 48. We have people here. There are communities here along the river. And somehow over these many decades, centuries, uh, humans and salmon have found a way to coexist. And so tell me, you know, from your perspective, you know, why is the Skeena River, why are Skeena salmon so important and why does this work need to continue? It's a big question. Um, and probably like a thousand different right answers. I think like in large part, a lot of the communities exist because of salmon for starters. And so that that's something. Um, and the fact that they're still here after all this time is just really, it's really, it's really something. But yeah, you touched on it you know, of all of these great salmon systems, um, not, a, not a ton of them have a significant human population living um, amongst them. And, and I think that that's really what part of what makes the Skeenet so unique. We have a really profound opportunity to show the rest of the world how to make it work. And I do fear that our governments are leading us astray um and that we're on the wrong path and and i'm not saying that there ought not to be development because of course our communities exist because not just of salmon because of salmon but also because of forestry um and mining and i think that there's room there's room for all of that um but it has to be done right and so part of what we're part of of course what we do is 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 try to help define what that looks like i want to name that i think that's really important i do truly feel that we that we owe it we owe it to people to create this model to show them like we still have a chance here part of the reason that that we that we existed was because the skino was this opportunity on a global scale to to create this model because it's not broken yet. It's not broken yet. And like, that's really important because most places are broken. They don't have waterways that are free flowing. They're, you know, that they're full of dams or the different stocks have been 
you know, obliterated to the point where there's no genetic diversity. And if you know anything about the stock market, you know that that a diverse portfolio is critically important to be to having a healthy economic um, portfolio and and genetic diversity of salmon is no different. And so we still have that here. It's not broken. We still have um, you know, we still have some bears around. We still have some relatively well-functioning systems. And that is actually quite unique for a system that has humans um, along uh, its path. You know, oh, there's people come, they come from all over the world. They know because the systems in their backyards are broken. We face uh, a lot of criticism sometimes about, you know, oh, we're against everything. Uh, we get, you know, foundational money outside of Canada, um, you know, but again, it's it, in my mind, as you as you mentioned, there are people who come from around the world yeah. to to fish these rivers and, and a lot of times yeah. not even to, to, to harvest a fish to come and, you know, fish, uh, catch and release, you know, even just to enjoy the river or bear viewing. Uh, you know, ecotourism, and and they come here and they have these experiences and they leave because they know and and also donate their 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 money to conservation efforts here because they know that this is a fleeting moment. These these are fleeting places that we don't necessarily yeah. have a lot of anymore. And here in the Skeena, there's access. We can still uh, enjoy the river, enjoy the salmon, and and live comfortably mm -hmm. in our communities. And mm -hmm. so I guess you know maybe tell me a little bit about. You know, your thoughts on that angle when you when you do hear people say that to you um you know what's your response how do you feel about that well yeah it's super it's super important and it drives me nuts because you know i grew up here and this this notion that it's this these outside interests trying to dictate how things ought to be in our communities is is bogus um it's fear-mongering it's inaccurate and uh, it's quite damaging. Um, you know, everybody that I work with is, has either grown up here or has been here for decades and are deeply rooted in place. Um, and so that for starters, but, but again, I think I, I made this point already that like when we get money from, you know, away, it's because people recognize that this is sort of the last frontier for and it's not to shut everything down or stop all development it's not about that at all it's about how much to who to whose benefit you know uh, you know and it's it's about it's about scope and scale it's about it's about how big and where and how much and who's who's benefiting because if it's if it's if it's only benefiting you know uh, some suits in the city. I'm not interested in that, especially if it's at the cost of 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 really important, long-standing economies that have that we've been that people and communities have families have been building for generations. Like, like there's no way it doesn't. So it doesn't make any sense to me. I I just don't buy it for a second. Um, we're we're talking about. Uh, people who who come to this place and go, holy smokes, this is a system that's not broken. Why would we wait until it's broken before we start putting money into fixing it? 
like why not why not try to do better for our kids like why not and that to me is is that's 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 why i do this work because because we have a chance to not screw it up we have a chance to show the rest of the world that you can still pull trees out of the forest and not obliterate a, an ecosystem you don't need to nuke it in order to make a few bucks and that's true for mining it costs a bit more money to do it that way but we need to really really reevaluate what wealth is and how much is enough um and so fundamentally i feel that that we need to help answer those questions and so i would i would say again like at the root of what we do it's it's about helping define that and we know that there's ways to to develop these resources in a responsible way if you like what you're hearing and want to hear more about the Skino watershed, salmon, science, and how communities are working together to ensure a future for all the creatures that call the Skino home, then download the Upstream podcast. Check us out at skinowild.org or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. The Skino to me... It's a place of beauty. It's a place of history. It's a place of culture. It's a place of food security. I want to make sure that I'm leaving this place just as good or as better than when I found it. Amasa, good day. My ancestral name is Hapwalaksa. My English name is Currywaldo. I am of Timsian and Gixan descent. I live in Gixan territory and what is now known as New Hazleton along the shores of beautiful Skeena River. This is Kirby Maldo, another member of the Skeena Wild team. He's the Indigenous Engagement Specialist, but he's also an educator and a human rights advocate. But I'll let Kirby tell you what he does. My job is to go out into different communities, nations, visit with individuals, organizations, communities, and nations to build and maintain healthy relationships. Thanks for chatting with me today, Kirby. I know we've talked about this many times before, but tell me again, what was your first experience with salmon and the Skeena River? Well, I was born and raised uh, in Gixan territory. I was born in Hazleton, uh, grew up in Kispiox. Um, I was brought up with a big family, um, spent a lot of time with my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, out on the land, on the water. I was taught at a very early age to respect the land, to respect the water, to respect the salmon. The water is what gives us life. We, we can't live without water. The salmon is what brings life up into our headwaters, up into our rivers, into our streams. Salmon are so important to the Gixan people. They're important to all people. They're important to all living things. The nutrients they pull up into the watersheds from the ocean are crucial to the survival of many living things, including plants, animals, birds, humans. Um, we all depend on the salmon, not just for food, but for the nutrients it provides for other living things that we depend on to keep our ecosystem in good health. Yeah. 
for sure. Uh, Kirby, tell me a little bit about why the Skeena watershed and places like Hazleton, Kispiox, Gitsan Territory, why is it so unique and special? And why have, have you chosen to make it your home? The Skeena and the Skeena watershed are a very special place. There aren't too many places left in BC or Canada like the Skeena. Growing up in the Skeena, I, I came to appreciate so many things about the land and the water, the culture, the people, the beauty, you know, right from the headwaters of the Skeena down into the, down into the um, estuary in Port Ed and Prince Rupert. There's so much beauty and, and so much life. Um, the people, the cultures, societies, uh, it's, it's just amazing. And I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. Yeah, no doubt. Um, same way as at this point, uh, after being here for just over a decade, I, I feel the same way. Um, I, I guess one thing, though, you know, that really struck me when I got here, because I didn't know very much about it, was how important salmon are uh, to cultures, to communities and to the economy here. Tell me, what was your first interaction with salmon? Like, what's your first recollection of, of salmon in your life? I grew up spending a lot of time with my grandmother and my grandfather. And um, we had a, a fishing hole just up uh, about four or five kilometers from the Kispiox on the Skeena. And one of my first memories is going up as a family to go up to the fishing hole and we had to pack fish up a hill. Uh, even as a small child, you had to do your part. And so going up to the fishing hole meant that you were going up there to work and that um, you, would, you would gain from the benefit of being able to, and having the privilege of harvesting salmon. You know, salmon are the lifeblood of the river. They bring sustenance and nutrients to our families, our bodies every year. And all we have to do is take care of them, you know, and uh, they'll, they'll provide life. Yeah. yeah. I know that you've done, you know, quite a few things in your life, but lately and the last number of years, it's been focused on salmon conservation. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with salmon conservation and, and by such Skeena Wild. What was kind of the the first initial episode or involvement that you had with salmon conservation in the Skeena? Well, I used to be an instructor at uh, Northwest Community College, which is now known as Coast Mountain College. And I taught uh, introduction to environmental monitoring along with many other courses. Teaching those courses really opened my eyes to the destruction that was going on in the valley and other valleys, other watersheds. I quickly learned more about what was happening uh, in the environment in and around the Skeena watershed. And I was more able to recognize as we brought students out into, onto the land, I was more able to recognize what was happening to the land. Prior to that, I didn't really realize that extreme weather events were a bad thing. I knew they weren't good, but I didn't know the extent to which they were impacting the environment, especially salmon. So after teaching for about five years, um, I became involved with 
an organization called the Headwaters Initiative Project, which was run by Bruce Hill and Gerald Amos. I worked with the Headwaters Initiative Project for about three years, and, uh, and then we amalgamated with Skeena Wild Conservation Trust. Uh, Skeena Wild Conservation Trust has a lot of the same values and goals that I have in my life. You know, we want to see a healthy environment. We want to see people thrive. We want to see people work. But we also want to make sure that we're leaving uh, a healthy, vibrant, sustainable environment for those yet to come. What was um, what was some of the work that you initially did with the Headwater Initiative and, and Gerald and, and Bruce? I did a lot of uh, community engagement. I did a lot of uh, organizing, uh, different meetings, etc. Uh, what Bruce and Gerald used to call the thousand cups of coffee. I was out, you know, behind my steering wheel, um, you know, stopping in every town and trying to talk to everybody I could about. Um, what we were trying to do at the Headwaters Initiative Project, um, you know, building and maintaining relationships, um, talking about our, our goals and our values and where our goals and values aligned. And so just trying to build that momentum and build the unity so that when it came time to uh, stand up and protect our food security and our water security, that people were informed they had somewhere to come to organize and to look for support to ask for unity and and that's what i that's what i thrive to do is just share information support one another uh, provide unity and and show show support when other individuals organizations and nations need support in protecting their food security and water security and human rights kirby you know you've you've grown up living uh, and working next to the Skeena where humans and salmon can coexist in, in some way. Um, my question, I guess, you know, on that in your experience, being a commercial fisherman, being in the logging industry and now doing salmon conservation work, you know, why is the Skeena River and salmon so important to you and by, by extension to the Gitsan culture, to indigenous culture? It's so important to me because, first of all, it provides food security. Uh, as I said earlier, not, not just for the Gixan people, but for all people, as well as all living things, bears, wolves, uh, otters, uh, birds, you know, it's, it's so important. But salmon is also so important to our cultures. Um, we have celebrations every spring, you know, to release the smolts. And then we have celebrations to welcome the adult salmon back. But, you know, I often think about the value of salmon to our economy. When I was growing up fishing with my grandfather and Prince Rupert, we used to catch thousands and thousands of fish daily. Hundreds, if not thousands of fishers on the BC coast made great livelihoods. And you see a lot of that livelihood is gone now. Whereas if, you know, we just took care of the salmon, those, that industry would be still thriving. We would still have our food security and we would still be providing 
for all the plants and animals upriver and downriver that depend on those salmon. So I want to talk a little bit about the economy. You know, as I said, when I was a child, I fished with my grandfather and um, like I said, thousands of fishers made a great living. And today you can't, you can't find more than a hundred fishers on the water now. And so the salmon economy is so important to the Skeena because it not only provides for commercial fishing, but it also provides for the anglers who are also um, food fishing in most cases. This food security and ec economic activity will just come swimming back to us every year, right to our shores, practically to our doorsteps, as long as we look after it. You've been listening to Upstream, a Skeena Wild podcast. Over this first season, we'll speak with those on the ground working every day to ensure a future for Skeena salmon, the people behind the science that are increasing our awareness and understanding of one of the last intact salmon watersheds in the world, and what responsible development could look like. We'll also dive into what makes the Skeena such a significant and unique environment, and how Indigenous nations and local communities are pulling out all the stops to ensure our way of life and salmon have a future here. If you want to hear more, check out skinawild.org or subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And don't forget, tell your friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>